Welcome to First Baptist Church of Augusta. We're so glad you could join us for worship this morning. Here at First Baptist, we are a church that lives out the greatest commandment of Jesus, which is to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We believe that following the way of Jesus should make a difference in the world around us. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing at FBC Augusta today. All right, good morning, everybody. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in just a moment, we are going to read verses 12 through 31 together. If you're watching online, we are thrilled that you've chosen to join us and worship with us this morning. And so turn in your Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we will begin reading together. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. This is the words of Paul to a church that we'll talk about in just a few minutes. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body which seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are under, uh, under-presentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that it's part Parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are part of the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles and then prophets, teachers and miracles, the gift of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different types of tongues. And you are all part of one body. So guys, in 2008, I had gotten out of grad school. I had finished up at Emory and I started pastoring my first church in 2008. It was this tiny little church in the country and I had a lot of time on my hands and I got to do a lot of incredible things. And one of the things that I was most excited about that I got to do as part of this first church I was at is that I was chosen by the United Methodist Church, that's where I was at the time, to be part of this thing called New Church Leadership Academy. And the basic idea behind New Church Leadership Academy was that they chose certain people that they thought might do a good job at planting a new congregation, starting something from scratch and seeing uh, how it might develop. And so every month, once a month, over the course of a year, me and about 20 other people got to travel around the Southeast and go and visit a lot of churches that had been planted and now were thriving. And I got to learn so much from these pastors that had planted churches. One meeting, for example, we talked about how do you 
organize volunteers? How do you make sure that chairs get sat out in the morning and taken up when you're done? Because oftentimes these churches would meet in schools or in uh, storefronts to begin with. Other conversations would be about how do you uh, generate excitement and buzz in the community? How do you uh, raise money? Right, and there were all these different things we talked about, but there was one lesson that I never forgot. We went to a church in Buckhead in the Atlanta area, and the pastor there was a super charismatic guy, and he didn't really get into anything practical about what the church was and how we were going to uh, thrive. But what this gentleman did do is he talked about what the church was. And the way he described the church, y'all, I will never forget. This is what he said the church was like. You know what that is? is trail mix. He said the church is like trail mix, okay? He said the church is like trail mix insofar as there's granola, there's healthy pieces in it, and it's good for you. But you need to know when you get into church work, not only are you getting the granola, but every fruit, nut, and flake imaginable is going to come to your church. And then he stopped for a moment and he said, but when it's all together, it tastes so good. When it's all together, it hits just the right note. And he described the church as trail mix. Now, that might seem a little bit like a crude analogy. And I think even more than church as trail mix, what I love is the analogy that Paul uses here when he describes the church. Now, I want to take just a few minutes and talk about what is happening in this letter because Paul is writing to a church in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth, guys, is this massive hub in the context of the Roman Empire. It, it, there is a major trade route that goes through the city of Corinth. And so there would have been folks from all different types of, uh, of geographic background, uh, of economic background, of religious background. I mean, when you talk about the city of Corinth, it, in fact, would have been like this trail mix of people. And in the midst of this city of Corinth, there is a church that Paul had helped to plant. And guys, what you need to understand before we get into the context of this letter is that if there was a church, if there was a church that was dysfunctional beyond anything you have ever heard about, guys, it was the church in Corinth. If you go and read, Paul wrote two letters to the church at Corinth. Some scholars think he actually wrote four, and we're missing a couple of them. But these letters, essentially, he's addressing one problem after another, that these people are divided into factions, that some people are saying, hey, I follow Peter. Other people are saying, I follow Paul. They are divided between rich and poor. And when they come together, because in the early church, one of the things you would do is you would worship, and then you would come together and share a meal. And at the end of the meal, you would have the Lord's Supper. You would have communion together. And at this church in Corinth, the wealthy members of the church said, ah, we're not going to wait on those poor folks to get done with their work. We're going to go ahead and have the feast, and then they can have the leftovers when they get here, right? It, it was that kind of divided place. It, it, their morality was all out of whack. And son-in-laws were sleeping with their mother-in-laws, and it was just this wild, wild scene. And if there had ever been a church that could be described as trail mix. It would have been the church in Corinth. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go even further and say, if there was a church where the best piece of advice that could have been given was, hey, just cut your losses and go do your own thing because you're kind of embarrassing the way of Jesus, it would have been the church in Corinth. And that is what makes it even more remarkable that the section I read to you today does not say you guys are messed up. You guys have it all wrong. 
But what is so remarkable about the church, this letter to the church at Corinth, is that when Paul is describing who you are collectively as a people, he doesn't point out their faults and their failures, but in this beautiful moment, what he says is, you, my friends, are a body. You, my friends, are this wild variance of people, and yet you come together, and when you are in deep relationship with each other, you create this new thing in the world, and you bring your unique perspectives and backgrounds, but when you call on Jesus, you form a body. And each of you has been given particular gifts. Each of you has particular skill sets that you need to use. And you, just like a body, have your unique goal. I love what he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, some of you are feet. And some of you are hands. And others of you are heads. Now, y'all, you got to remember, this is a church. This is a church that is divided into factions over who is the most popular preacher. Some people love Paul, other people love Peter, other people love this guy named Apollos. And one of the most striking things that Paul is saying here is he's like, guys, in the church, there is no difference between these three and anybody else, that we all have our unique roles and each of them is essential for us to flourish. He goes on and he gets a little more practical and he says, just like a body has unique parts and it makes one thing whole, so the church is. And some of us are apostles and others of us are preachers. Some of us have the gift of comfort and the gift of encouragement and each and every one of those parts and pieces is just as important as the other. And as a body doesn't function properly if you don't have a leg, so the church doesn't function properly if we don't have you. Because we are designed to be one integral unit together. I love the way that Paul describes the church. It is a body. And one piece missing means that it is incomplete. But I actually want to go even further than that because a body in the most technical sense actually does things together where one piece makes the other part whole, where one piece makes the other part of the body better. I'm going to explain what I mean. I read a book recently. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but it is an incredible book written by a guy named Bill Bryson. Bill Bryson is an and funny author. He is just, his stuff is really good. And he wrote a book called The Body, A User's Guide. And in that book, he talks about what a unique thing the body is and the miracle that we from the dust of the earth now have this thing that we get to call a home, a body. And there's one section that I think actually plays directly into what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians. Here's what Paul, or here's what Bill Bryson says in his book, The Body. If you could go ahead and throw that slide up, please. An interesting thing about touch is that the brain doesn't just tell you how something feels, but how it ought to feel. Next slide. That's why the caress of a lover feels wonderful but the same touch by a stranger would feel creepy or horrible. Next slide. It is also why it is so hard to tickle yourself. Isn't that great? See, guys, you've got your hand and you've got your brain, and your hand can do certain things, but it is incomplete without the mind because the mind then plays in and tells the hand what it ought to be feeling. Isn't that incredible? 
And the body isn't just made up of unique, distinct parts, but the body works together. And out of this sense of individuality, we get a wholeness that is good and right. So Paul says that the church is just like a body and we are created to be together, to accomplish incredible things in the world. And I want to contrast that this morning, that vision, that idea of the church. I want to contrast that with how most of us in 2022, and I I count myself among that, how most of us have been conditioned to think about church. Because for the majority of us, when we think the word church, what we think is church is a place where you go. Church is a place where you go on a Sunday morning. You're here, you're in church, right? You've been taught. I I tried to remember how to do it, but you guys remember. uh, Here's the church. There's the steeple. Open it up, and there are the people. And we are taught and conditioned to think that church is a place. And here's the thing that we have to understand. As long as that is what we think about church, we are missing the point. Because the church isn't built. Y'all, we have seven buildings, over 350,000 square feet of property that we have to maintain. And let me tell you something, it's great. But if every single bit of it was gone tomorrow, we would still be the church. Because the church is not a place. The church, Paul says, is a body, a community that makes each other better. The second thing that most of us have been taught to think, and you can see it there on the screen, is that church is something you do. Most of us have been taught to think church is something you do. So you get up and you go to work. You are worshiping, and we think that's what church is. Some of you are watching online, right? I've had a couple of people tell me recently, they're like, Will, I really love going to church in my pajamas from home. Hey, y'all, you can wear your pajamas here in the room, too. It's all good. (laughs) And I don't want to diminish that, y'all. Online church, we're thrilled you're watching with us. It's, It's a great first step for you to get invested in what we are doing. But but the fact of the matter is, friends, if you want to see the full extent of what God has planned for your life, we have to move past the understanding that church is something you do just on a Sunday morning. That it is so much more than that. And that's true for those of us who are here in this room. And if you're only plugged in in worship on Sunday, we are so thrilled that you're here. But when you move past the understanding of church as something you do and move to the understanding of church as a body, church as a collection of people with unique individual gifts, and it is only when we come together that we can be who God created us to be, then you begin to understand that church is not a place. Church is not something you do, but the church, according to Paul, is a people. It is a collection of people who come together to make the world a fundamentally better place. And each of us brings a gift. Some of you are feet and some of you are toes and others of you are larynxes. And I can go on and on down the list, but we all have our individual skill sets we bring. We are all parts of the body, and when we come together, we form this new thing. Church, at its most basic level, it is a people. And that church planter back in the day talks about church as trail mix. And Paul talks about church as a body. 
But what I I think is even better than that is Peter. There's this guy, Peter, and Peter, if you're not familiar with him, he's one of the earliest followers of Jesus. He's actually kind of like the chief of staff for Jesus, and he's one of the most important disciples. And, And Peter wrote a letter, like Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Peter wrote a few letters himself, and he's writing these letters to churches, and Paul in particular, or Peter in particular, I got to focus on this for just a minute, y'all. This is beautiful, profound stuff. Peter is writing to Jewish Christians. Peter's writing to Jewish Christians, and good Jews who are living in the context of the first century would have had an understanding that the temple in Jerusalem, right? There was the temple in Jerusalem where every good Jew, three times a year, they had to go to worship at the temple. And the temple, according to good first century Jews, it was literally the place where heaven and earth came together. There wasn't this dichotomy of heaven up here, earth here, hell down below. But in the first century Jewish mind, Heaven was a dimension of God's reality, just like earth. And there were moments where they overlapped and came together. And good Jews of the first century believed that it was in the temple itself, in the holy of holies where God lived and heaven met earth. And we came to the temple to experience something good and beautiful and profound in this world. That's how Jews understood the temple. Now, fast forward to Peter, who is a Jewish Christian, who understands that the temple is now not the most important thing, but it is Jesus. And he writes this letter to the church filled with Jewish Christians with their rich understanding of what the temple was supposed to be. And he shifts the narrative and he tells a different story that the temple in Jerusalem is no longer the place where heaven and earth come together, but now there is a new place. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, here's what he says. Like living stones, you yourself are being built up into a spiritual house. The Greek word is temple. To a holy priesthood that is there at the temple. To offer spiritual sacrifices like you would have done at the temple that will be well-pleasing to God through Jesus the Messiah. Think about that for just a minute, y'all. What Peter is saying to the church of the first century and what he is saying to the church right here, right now, is that far from being this loose collection of people who come together for one hour on a Sunday morning, what Peter is saying is that when we come together and form a new thing in the world, it is precisely in that place where God is dwelling. And we are heaven and earth people called to go out and be salt and be light, to offer sacrifices of praise to God. Oh, man. So at one level, we are trail mix. At another level, we are the body. But maybe the most deep and profound of all, my friends, is that we are the very space where heaven and earth come together. As the great theologian Jack Johnson once said, We're better when we're together, okay? And I love that analogy of a temple because the temple is built, constructed of a thousand different stones and a thousand different pillars. And if one of them is taken out, then the whole integrity, the integrity of the whole thing is compromised. And if the church is going to be the best that it possibly can be, 
If the church is going to be the full extent of what God intended when he launched this beautiful new thing in the world, here's what you need to know. We need you. Because you have a unique role to play. You have something that only you can bring to the table. And last week I said that you need community. But what I want us to understand this week is that if the church is going to be what the church can be, what God intends for it to be, the way that he changes the world in and through us, then the community needs you. The community needs you to plug in in deep and meaningful ways. And there are a thousand different examples that I could give about this, but I just want to highlight three this morning. And the first is this, that we, the community, need your voice. We need your voice. And I mean that very literally and very practically. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Thessalonica in just one verse. He says, hey, guys, as you're trying to live this Jesus way in the world in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, here's what he says. Therefore, encourage one another. Encourage one another and build each other up. We need your voice. We, we need to be in relationship with each other where we are walking alongside each other and sharing in our highs and our lows. We need your voice. Matt Hester, who Jim mentioned earlier, Matt took me out to play disc golf the other day, okay? We went out to play disc golf out at Patriots Park, and if you've never played disc golf, it is not Frisbee, friends, okay? And, and Matt and I go out, and I don't know if you know this about my man, but he is a professional disc golf player, okay? And so he gets up, and he throws that disc, and it goes like a 1,000 yards, and he's like effortless. And then I get up, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a breeze. And I throw it, and shock waves go through the tips of my fingers, y'all. This is terrible. And I am starting to get frustrated because I'm an athlete and I want to be great at everything I'm doing. But I am categorically not good at disc golf. And Matt Hester looks at me and he said, Will, you're better than most people who play for the first time, which is an indicator I'm not, by the way. <laughs> but you know what's funny? Is it all throughout the 18 holes of disc golf that we played, he was constantly saying, Hey, good throw. Hey, good, good throw. Yeah, hey, just do this a little bit. Just flip your wrist a little bit more. Turn your shoulders a little bit more. And he's this source of encouragement where I'm starting to get frustrated, but his voice coming alongside me, it actually begins to have an effect. And in the exact same way, when someone comes to you and they say, hey, I know you're going through a rough patch, but I'm praying for you. I know you're going through a difficult period in your life, but I am walking alongside of you. And the voice of encouragement, friends, helps to create this unique and beautiful thing in the world. We need your voice. The second thing I would say is this, that we need your experiences. We need your experiences. Because some of you, friends, you have been through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you have been in some of the worst possible moments, and you have seen the worst of the worst, and now you are finally in a position where you can share your experience so that others will understand they do not walk alone. Let me tell you what I mean. A couple years ago, a member of our church, Dolores, comes to me, and, and we all know Dolores. If you've been here a long time, if you don't hang out long enough, and you will get to know her. And Dolores comes to me, and she lost her husband, Jake, about seven, eight years ago. And she comes to me, and she said, Will, I've been watching as widows continue, as the population of widows continues to grow in the church. And God has laid it on my heart 
that these women need to know they're not alone. These women need to know that the experience they are having, that they can get through it too. And her experience of grief and of loss, friends, inspires her to create this new group that meets together so that everyone knows we are stronger as one body. We need your experiences. One of the coolest things that I have seen in our church over the past few years are the number of young men, guys that are like kind of my age, but maybe five or six years younger. And they're coming and they're saying, hey, I'm going through work and I'm having success in my career, but the thing I'm trying to figure out is why does this matter? And how can I have a little bit more guidance as I make decisions about where I am going and what I am doing with my life? And one of the coolest things is that I have seen men in our church who are in their 50s, in their 60s, who have had success beyond success, and they are partnering with these young men in our church and providing wisdom and experience. Guys, if we're going to thrive, we need you. We need your voice. We need your experiences. But the last thing I would say, friends, is that what we need maybe more than that is we need your passion. We need your passion because in each and every one of us, God has put something on your heart, something you love to do. Maybe it's playing the drums. Maybe it's rocking babies on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's going downtown and, and doing work, good work with our homeless brothers and sisters. In, in, inside of each and every one of us, you have been given a passion and if the church is a body with individual parts, individual gifts, individual things, but we are better together, then we, if we're going to be the church that God intends for us to be, we need your passion and we need you to plug in. There are thousands of places where you can be more deeply connected in our church. And the challenge for us this morning is to ask the question of how do I engage with the church how do I engage with the church? Do I do it as just something I go to, a place I go on Sunday morning? Is it something I do one day a week? Or do we understand that church is part of the fabric of our lives? We need your voice. We need your experience, and we need your passion. Fred Beekner is uh, an incredible Christian writer. He died earlier this week. And one of my favorite quotes from Beekner I want to share with you as you think about where you might plug in to this community, because we are better together. Here's what Beekner says, that the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. There's a space for you in this church. There's a space for you to plug in and make the body more healthy. There's a space for you to plug in and make the temple more secure. There's a place for you to plug in. So the question, friends, becomes, where is your deep hunger? Where is your deep hunger? And where is the world's need? You are better together in community with each other. Let's take a few moments now, my friends, and let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We are grateful for this morning. We are grateful for the opportunity to come and celebrate you. And God, most of all, we are grateful for this gift of community. 
And God, help my brothers and sisters who are here this morning today, or maybe they're watching online and they've approached church maybe as a consumer, something that we do on Sunday morning or a place that we go. And God, today, revolutionize our minds and our hearts and help us to see, like Paul said, like Peter said, like Jesus said, that the church is a revolutionary force for good. But the only way we can be who you created us to be, God, is if we are all in together. And so, God, that deep hunger that is in each of our hearts, God, that deep gladness that brings us joy, God, show us somewhere this morning for each and every person. Show us the place where we need to plug in so that your church might be all that you created it to be. Because, God, we are better together. And the community needs us. Continue to be with us now as we worship you, God. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We hope that you've experienced the presence of God and walk away empowered to make a difference in your community by sharing the love of Christ with those around you. We invite you to visit our website, find us on social media, or better yet, stop by one of our Sunday services, 9 a.m. for contemporary and 11 a.m. for traditional. Have an amazing week. See you next time.